Eoch Tanuyap, Kuiget Yuans, Kuiensna. Hi, everybody. My name is Kuiget Yuans. I'm a member of the Squamish Nation and the Yagalanis Clan of the Haida Nation. You're listening to Co op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. We live, work, play, and broadcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil Nations. <laughs> Cooperative Connection, your weekly report on the cooperative sector, proudly broadcasting on Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM, and online at coopradio.org. I'm Sandy Goldman. In this episode, we go to Winnipeg to learn about the work of the Manitoba Cooperative Association. Vera Gussart has been the executive director of MCA for 18 years. She has a long association with co-ops and is passionate about the cooperative difference. I began our conversation by asking Vera where her enthusiasm for cooperatives comes from. Here's our discussion. I grew up in a cooperative household. My my parents and my dad in particular were very much involved in the cooperative movement. It was always something that was talked about. Uh, We conversed about it regularly and uh, at any opportunity, uh, that my parents had, they put me in cooperative uh, activities. So the youth leadership programs uh, and those kinds of things, the co-op youth leadership program, I was an active participant and then volunteer in those programs for many years. Uh, I did go to university and studied uh, commerce, business, and throughout that education, there was no talk of co-ops. Interesting, there was a very conventional sort of business education, if you will. And I knew that there was another There's another way of doing things that sort of aligned more with my values. And so I decided to pursue that after uh, my graduation. And I've spent my whole career in some form of fashion in the cooperative space. Now, your father, is it Andre? Yes. He he had a very special connection to uh, the Inuit. Uh, Tell us about that, because he, he ended up being quite instrumental in the foundation of what is now Arctic cooperatives. So tell us, share that with our audience. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, so uh, my dad was born in Belgium and uh, he came to Canada in 1956 as an adult uh, and he moved straight to the Arctic. He lived in a number of communities uh, across the Arctic, but you can imagine in 1956, the Arctic is a very different place than than what it is today uh, in that, you know, settlements were just sort of forming. They were sort of sort of new. It was a very much a changing landscape from traditional ways of life into sort of the more what we know today as Arctic life. 
And so he was very, I mean, he, he relied on the Inuit to survive and he lived and worked with them uh, throughout his uh, time in the North. He spent 25 years in the Arctic uh, working with the Inuit. And uh, yeah, he, he was involved in starting some cooperatives uh, in the North. It was at the time when all these co-ops were starting to get started. Many of them started uh, in the arts, marketing art and Inuit art. Some started in the fishing, um, or, you know, fish fisheries and those kinds of things. Uh, so he was very much involved in the fishery, but also then seeing, you know, these communities are being formed. There's all kinds of needs in communities, whether that's food, whether that's housing, whether that's whatever it may be. He thought the best way to provide that was through a cooperative so the people could own their own um, situation, if you will. So he got very involved in that. Uh, and then I met my mother along the way and they decided to, to start a family. And uh, he ended up actually uh, started out on the board and then became uh, the chief executive officer of what then became in 1981 Arctic Cooperatives Limited, which started off its life in uh, Yellowknife, where it was located, uh, until the mid 80s uh, when they moved the home office to Winnipeg. Uh, simply because it was the 80s and the economy was not in a very good position and the cost of doing business out of Yellowknife was becoming uh, too encumbered. So they had to make a move. Tell us a bit about the history of cooperatives in your province. Um, how did they get started and what were they known for as building blocks of life in Manitoba? Well, I mean, I think it's the story of many of the, the prairie provinces, certainly, you know, as people came, it's it's similar. They, people needed to work together. And many of our cooperatives started in the agricultural space. Um, we saw, you know, formation of co-ops in the 20s and the 30s around whether it was dairy or uh, eggs or those kinds of things or grain, of course. We had the, you know, the wheat pools, which were so important to the building of the prairie provinces, I would say. Uh, and they were cooperatives themselves. So uh, it was integral to the building of the prairies. Uh, but with that, the farmers then, you know, they had small farms still. It's very different farming than what we see today with the big commercial farms. But, you know, these were, you know, family farms, if you will, that were that were farming. And uh, they needed access to credit and different sort of facilities of that nature. And that's when the credit union started. Hmm. Uh, in the 1930s, the credit unions were being built to sort of provide service to those farmers. Uh, it's so interesting. I mean, that that's the kind of history we're looking for. Can I jump back to the wheat pools for a minute? Yeah. I, I understand that they arose because the farmers... Um, on their own were not getting a good or fair price for their grain and so they pooled their resources tell us a bit about that because it's an interesting piece of Canadian history across the prairies yeah and I'm no expert on the wheat pools history there's people who are far more <laughs> abreast in the history but what we see in cooperatives where they're producer co-ops where people are collectively are marketing I mean that really is what it is they can achieve you know, rather than every individual farmer going out and negotiating deals on their goods that they're trying to sell, if you do it through some sort of collective, you have uh, a more stable uh, resource of, of, of goods to sell. Because if one farmer has a bad year, it doesn't mean that the other farmer in the co-op has the same bad year. So it gives a stability for both the consumer, for the purchaser of said goods, uh, but also they're able to negotiate a better price that is more fair for everyone. 
And I think that really is why we saw so many agricultural co-ops in the early days starting in on a whole variety of areas, whether it was grain, whether it was, you know, as I said, like eggs and poultry, whether it was milk, we saw a lot of dairy co-ops, uh, you know, back in the day. And, and, and it was all about that sort of, and, and today there's a lot of fishing co-ops for the same reason, right? Uh, an individual fisherman to, try and figure out how to market his fish when a lot of it, let's be honest, ends up uh, in Asia or anywhere in the world for that matter. How do you negotiate that when you're in the middle of nowhere, Manitoba fishing on a lake? Right. You need some sort of body to sort of give you access to those markets where you can get a better price for your goods. So let's uh, fast forward to the last uh, 18 years that you've been involved. Sure. Uh, what Paint a picture of the cooperative landscape uh, its evolution over the last 18 years? Well, there's been ebbs and flows, I'll tell you that. Um, so before I came to MCA, I actually worked uh, for the province of Manitoba, for the provincial government as a cooperative developer. So in Manitoba, there had been a long history of um, government support for cooperatives. That's uh, great. Having you know developers on staff, assisting folks to create co-ops and build co-ops. And when I started at MCA, a couple of years after I started, we actually entered into a really um, fruitful strategic partnership with the provincial government that saw a lot of momentum be built around cooperatives. Um, cooperatives, in my opinion, are sort of the best kept secret. You know, uh, we, we have tons of co-op members in Manitoba. I think there's over 1.2 million members of memberships, I should say, of co-ops in a province that has a population of 1.2 million, right? Um, so not to say every Manitoban is a member of a co-op, but, you know, because some people have more than one membership, but it is a very strong penetration. But a lot of those people don't even know what it means to be a member. And I think that's what a lot of, and it's not unique to Manitoba, I think it's across Canada. Uh, people are members without knowing what that membership means and entails. Uh, and so we really were trying to build awareness uh, around co-ops, what they are, how they make a difference. And so we were doing a lot of that through this strategy that we had uh, co-created and co-implementation with the province of Manitoba. Unfortunately, we had changes in government and sort of all that work was abandoned. And that was a real blow. Uh, we've lost a lot of momentum in the last number of years. Uh, I'm feeling hopeful in a new way uh, now that we can start building that up again, but we have lost momentum and um, I'm hoping that we can get some of that back, but it will take time. All of these things take time. What was the strategy trying to achieve? So the strategy was really interesting. It was developed, as I said, it was co-created by government and the sector, if you will. So we have a really large stakeholder group talking about if we wanna build cooperative momentum and the cooperative spirit in Manitoba, what needs to happen? and. Uh, it was a real uh, strong stakeholder engagement process that developed the strategy. And the strategy ultimately had sort of three key pillars. One was around co-op development. The second was around uh, education and communication around just basic co-op stuff. And then the third pillar was around sort of the infrastructure and policy environment, if you will sort of that more regulatory kind of environment. So those were, and we had three working groups that would work on various projects of these different pillars of the strategy. And what really helped the strategy along when it was created is that the government had made a commitment of, and it wasn't a huge amount, but it was enough to really make things happen of $250,000 a year 
to sustain this strategy. So these working groups would develop projects and things that would advance the ideas within each of the strategic pillars. And there was at least a pot of money that could then be drawn upon to sort of facilitate some of that work. And so we did that for about, it was about eight, eight or nine years that was functioning. And, and as I said, lots of really great things happened. Uh, and then when the next government came in, it was just abandoned. I, I don't say canceled, it was just, they weren't interested in meeting with us anymore. They weren't interested and they, they didn't put any money towards it or anything anymore. So it was just sort of, everybody walked away um, and it was really unfortunate. So have you met yet with Premier Wab Canoe or representatives no. <laughs> of his government to resurrect this uh, amazing uh, program? Yeah. So no, I mean, no, no direct, no direct meetings at this point in time yet. We've had, I mean, we've met with a lot of them while they were in opposition. Opposition. Yeah. We met with lots of folks, right? So they're aware uh, there is a support for cooperatives, uh, but you know, they have a lot of priorities and they've made sure. a lot of promises and, and we recognize that as well. Um, you know, healthcare being their top priority uh, right now. And also, you know, there's a number of other issues as well. So they have to, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> but you have to be a little bit hopeful, I guess, Absolutely. after having the program abandoned. Yeah, um, we do feel hopeful. And I think for a lot of their priorities that they have identified that they want to do, there are cooperative solutions that exist and that are great. Like on the healthcare front, I mean, we have an amazing healthcare co-op here in Winnipeg that is consistently rated a top employer. Who, I mean, in healthcare, a top employer. Who yeah. would have thought? Right? And that's that's Norwest. We've talked to them several times. They're, they're, they're amazing, uh, and they do such a diversity of work—not just primary health, but they really understand the social determinants of health and how healthcare is not just about seeing a doctor. It's about all these other parts of your life that need to be in order to keep a human being healthy. Exactly. Um, so I think that's a solution to some of the problems that the government is facing in terms of health care. Uh, yes, it's not going to fix the hospitals, but if you have less people needing hospitals, it does start to help to fix the Do hospitals. you find that in Manitoba with this, even though you've got perhaps 1.2 million members, that raising public awareness of the cooperative difference is an ongoing challenge or oh, yes. is it is? Oh, yeah. Tell us more about that and how you're trying to, even though you don't have government, have not had government backing for the last five years or so, six years, uh, how are you going about raising public awareness? Well, I mean, I think, as I said, it's, I don't think it's a struggle unique to Manitoba. I think it, it's something that, you know, the whole country faces in terms of raising awareness. In Manitoba, a lot of our large established co-ops and credit unions, I'll, I'll lump them in together, um, they've been around for a really long time. Give us and, some names so our listeners know who, who comes out of Manitoba in the co-op sector. Okay, well, in terms of like retail co-ops, you have the, you know, the largest is Red River Co-op, which is a gas stations as well as food stores uh, and pharmacies. Uh, it's part of the Federated Cooperatives Network of co-ops. And there's a number, I mean, Heritage Co-op is another big one that's based out of uh, Brandon and Minnedosa. You've got, you've got some very big retail co-ops of that nature, part of the Federated Umbrella. And then you also have large credit unions, like uh, whether it's Access Credit Union, whether it's Assiniboine Credit Union, whether it's Steinbeck Credit Union, you know, there's some really big players in, in, in the credit union sphere. And I have to say, Manitoba has incredible penetration of the market with credit unions. Um, there's, you know, at one point it was 44% of 
you know, banking business for the consumer and SMEs was done with a credit union, 44%. That's, That's incredible. And I just want to jump in about Assiniboine. We um, spoke with Brendan Reimer a few yeah. years ago about uh, Assiniboine becoming a certified B uh, corporation. Sure. Yeah. And that's a big step too. So they're they're real leaders as other credit unions are. Yeah. Um we've also so, talked to Westman Communications uh yes. in uh in the south. Now they're they're pretty uh important to the, the network of co-ops there. Absolutely. They're an active member on MCA's board as well. Uh Westman, so they're based out of Brandon, uh, right. and they serve western southwestern Manitoba. Uh, but they keep connecting more and more small rural communities uh, on fiber, which is incredible because a lot of these communities don't have otherwise have access to strong, reliable communication technology, which we know in this day and age is of critical importance. I mean, we hear about it all the time and they are cooperatively owned. They've been around, I believe, since the 1970s. Um, they're, you know, they're they're pretty impressive as well. But as I said, a lot of, and this is the case as we were talking about, for a lot of these large established co-ops, they have tons of members and they have huge impact, but their members don't even know because the founders have long gone. Right. Right. They've been around for so long. Many of the founders are no longer part of the conversation. And the founders often are the ones who were the most passionate about the cooperative model. And that sometimes gets lost in that generational transfer, I find. So I think that's some of the struggle that Manitoba and perhaps Canada is facing is how do we maintain that passion and the importance of why we are a cooperative organization as we go through this intergenerational transfer. So youth engagement is a huge issue uh, for all cooperative uh, associations and and uh, and within individual co-ops and most co-op associations have uh, some kind of youth engagement a program, a camp or ongoing uh, year uh, events during the year. What what are you doing in Manitoba to reach yeah, youth? So, so we don't run a summer camp. I know a lot of the provincial associations run full summer camps. We've never done that here. But since 1985, the Manitoba Cooperative Association has had uh, what we call our Co-op Youth Leadership Program, which is a weekend retreat that we offer uh, sometimes once a year, sometimes multiple times a year. Uh, and it was based off of the Saskatchewan back in 1885, the Saskatchewan summer camp program. Yeah. Uh, and it's for high school students. And so we had been doing that. And actually, that was my first actual formal entree into co-op land, other than sitting around the dining room table with my parents, was actually going to this camp when I was 15 years old. And then going back repeatedly as a volunteer and a leader uh, throughout my uh, high school and university career, if you will. Um, so it is important in engaging young people. Uh, today at MCA, because of the pandemic, you, you know, we had to really pivot because you couldn't do a sleepaway camp <laughs> in a pandemic. Right. Yes. So what we did during the pandemic is we actually introduced what we call our intro to CY program, which has been very successful. And what it is, is we come to the communities. So uh, last year we were in five different communities where we came in and we, you know, did a whole day of leadership training and cooperative education with high school students. And that was really quite successful. Um, and, you know, people who have been through our program love our programming. They just, you know, they really, it captures young people. And for many of these young people who go on to all different kinds of careers, uh, but it's the only time they ever hear about co-ops. 
Uh, which is so unique and, and so important. Like we have many graduates who have come back as volunteers for many years, who are teachers, who are, um, who are doctors, who are, you know, in any kind of profession. Uh, and they then, you know, they take that cooperative piece that is, it, it helps inform them moving forward too. And certainly the teachers have been so paramount in then getting the next generation as well. Well, it, yeah, exactly. I mean, the cooperative values uh, and principles align with um, what people want today. A lot of people want, I can't say all, because there's some who are <laughs> the antithesis of that uh, yeah. idea of cooperation. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I know for but young they really people, resonate with people those they, they do, they do. The values really resonate. One thing I read about, and I've actually talked to the former chair, uh, at university of Winnipeg is the, uh, chair in cooperative enterprises, the university of Winnipeg chair of cooperative enterprises in the business school. And you mentioned that you went to business school and there was no talk of cooperatives, but, yeah. Uh, there has been courses uh, and an actual chair created. And we did speak with Simon Berge uh, a number of years ago, uh, who was doing some, who was the chair. Um, tell us about uh, that program and how that's making a difference. So interestingly enough, the, the creation of the chair in cooperative enterprises was part of that strategy that I talked about. Uh, it was one of the working groups, the one that was around education and communication, said we really need to be in business schools. It is so important. We, you know, there are some universities across Canada that do have some cooperative education, but there was none that we could see that were at an undergraduate level in a business school. Uh, and we saw that as a huge gap because we know that there are social entrepreneurs out there and they don't know that co-ops are even an option. Uh, you know, there's, there's, we want to capture those business students who have that entrepreneurial spirit, but who don't have quite have the, the values alignment with traditional commerce. They want to do something more. And we see cooperatives as a way of doing that. So we wanted to capture those students. So we worked, it was a partnership between the cooperative sector and the Manitoba government and the university to create the cooperative chair at the university. So we did create the cooperative chair. Uh, Simon, there was one person before Simon and then Simon held the position. Simon left in the summer of 22. And since then, the position hasn't been filled. So again, we're, we're part of this, again, lost momentum, right? When we yes. lost the strategy, all these things start to, we don't have the same push and the same. Um, so that's why, you know, it's so important that we really start working more collectively again together to try and make these things happen. Uh, but they, the university, it still exists. It's no longer a chair position. It's now they call it the research center of cooperative enterprises, I believe. Uh, and they do have, they, they have had some conversations. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out what to do with it, but you know, it was incredible when even, so the, the chair position ultimately did end up creating what they call a concentration. It might be more familiar to many people as a major, in cooperative enterprises. Uh, right. So you could have a Bachelor of Business Administration with a concentration in um, uh, cooperative enterprises, which was amazing to have courses that did that. Uh, but not only that, almost more importantly was having that intro to co-ops class that both students from the business school, but also students from other departments could take as an elective because they needed to fill their, their schedule with other things that were not part of their degree program and introducing them to co-ops. And when that course was launched, I mean, it always had a wait list. It was a very popular course. Uh, and, you know, again, 
not everybody's going to be a co-op manager. We know that. <laughs> but it's important to have people in all disciplines, at least with some base level knowledge of cooperatives, I think, because they're so much a part of all aspects of Canadian life, potentially. We're also going to be speaking with uh, ANAC Publishing, Workers mm. Co-op. Uh, can you, and they received the Cooperative Achievement Award this year uh, right. at the MCA Awards. Tell us a little bit about them and, and why you honored them. Yeah, so ANAC uh, is really interesting. It's a worker co-op working in the publishing space. Uh, and publishing does not have a lot of co-ops. And it was, they're, so they're unique in that way. But not only that, they are trying to serve a community that is a very large community here in Manitoba uh, of the Filipino community. And uh, the members of that co-op uh, are first, or they, you know, their parents were the ones who immigrated. Many of them were sort of, they're Canadian, but they have this duality of having this, this Filipino sort of roots as well and trying to figure out how they fit in the Canadian landscape they thought it was important to have publications that sort of illustrate that. So they have, it's really interesting the the diversity of works that they have created. They have uh, children's books, they have cookbooks, they have oral histories, um, they have uh, a graphic novel and, and some of their works are being taught in universities now, which is incredible, um, you know? So there's so much opportunity there. Um, and, and so they've been around, I guess, for about 10 years. So MCA, we honored them this year at our co-op awards banquet because they were really, they showed how a, a cooperative way of doing something can really serve a community and, and do great things for a community. Uh, and, and that's it, what- um, And it sounds like they're quite inspired by um, being part of the cooperative movement. The, you know, yeah. the social purpose of, of co-ops uh, is something that they feel honored to be a part of. And I know that they probably get ongoing support and encouragement uh, from MCA and, and just being part of the co-op sector there in Manitoba. Before I let you go, there's one name of a, a, a organization there that comes across my desk often, and that's Seed Winnipeg. Um, tell us a bit about them, what they do for Manitobans and how they work as a co-op. And, and we'll wrap up with that. So SEED actually isn't a co-op, interestingly enough, but they are a member of MCA because we allow like-minded organizations <laughs> to be amongst our members. And SEED, um, it is an incredible organization. I've had the privilege of being on the board of SEED Winnipeg uh, in past years. And they do incredible work, uh, predominantly in Winnipeg's inner city, um, but they also have many programs that go beyond just that and just go across the province. Um, they sort of have two elements to their work. I would say they have, um, so SEED actually stands for Supporting Employment and Economic Development. Uh, and they sort of have two arms to the, a lot of the work they do. One is around sort of business development and, and that kind of thing. And the other is around asset building and giving people, understanding that in order to, people need assets, <laughs> whatever that might be, and, and helping people achieve those assets in order to achieve their further, further goals and be active members of the economy, et cetera. But on their business development service side of, of the work that they do, they do a lot of co-op work as well. They have been instrumental in supporting uh, co-op development projects uh, in Manitoba over the years. They have a real uh, affinity for co-ops and uh, certainly support cooperatives and the development of co-ops in Manitoba. 
Um, and so they've been a real strong partner to us over the years, and we have much appreciated uh, Seed as, an, as a, a strategic partner for us. Yeah, I'd be really interested in talking to them and, and learning more about what they do for people who otherwise might not get an opportunity, uh, people who are disenfranchised but do want to move forward in their lives. So uh, kudos to Seed. Uh, Vera, what are your future goals there for MCA besides getting the new government there to uh, eventually uh, help restore the tremendous uh, work that was being done in the past? What What are you looking at, let's say, for the next year or two? So MCA is really in a rebuilding phase right now. We're trying to figure out what our role is. And I think that we really want to be the connector of co-ops. We want to bring co-ops together we want to hear from co-ops. We want to understand what challenges co-ops are facing in our in our landscape and how we can work to uh, ameliorate that or make things easier for co-ops and also just spread the word. I, we talked about it a lot, the lack of awareness about what actually co-ops mean and just letting folks know that there is an alternative way of doing things. It's a really great way. It has a long proven track record. And uh, there's a real values alignment for a lot of folks who have ideas out there. And so that's a lot of what we're trying to get out there. And, and hopefully in the next year or two, we can really make that happen. That was Vera Gusart, Executive Director of the Manitoba Cooperative Association. That's it for this edition of Each for All, the Cooperative Connection. Thanks to my fellow cooperator, Joshua Peterman, for putting all the pieces together. I'm Sandy Goldman. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have a cooperative week.